goodnewsministriesofgnm.org. It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Welcome to The Future Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this is the podcast where I analyze John Allen's 2009 book, The Future Church. As I've said before, we're now 10 years into John's predictions. It's been very interesting to see what he got right and what he got wrong, and also to see how his book shows us some great trends that are happening in the world and in the church, which will continue to condition the Catholic Church as we move through the 21st century. You know, if you're worried or concerned or bewildered about the state of the church and state of society. It's because we're going through a huge time of transition as a human race. All sorts of changes are happening, and John Allen helps to point out and bring to mind some of these changes, which are impacting all of us, whether we realize it or not, and of course are impacting the future of the Catholic Church and the future of the Christian Church uh, all over the world. But because the Catholic Church is the largest of all the Christian groupings, it's going to have a big impact on the Catholic Church. So we're looking at these 10 different trends, and we're now on chapter 8. John's book has 10 chapters, plus a pretty ample introduction and conclusion. In this eighth episode of the podcast, I'll be considering Pentecostalism, one of the waves of a new Christianity which is uh, spreading across the globe because of the other trends that are happening, and we'll explain that as we go along. Episode 9 will be a bit of a summary, and then episode 10 will also look forward to how we put it all together and what it means for the church today. So to go on to Pentecostalism, John uh, opens up by explaining that Pentecostalism is a an umbrella term for what might be called charismatic worship or free church or megachurch. It has various different permutations and various different expressions around the world. Some of the Pentecostal churches are actually formed into denominations, and others are just independent churches. Some of the independent churches are huge. Some of them are meeting in somebody's front room or in a garage or in a retail strip. And Pentecostalism, therefore, is difficult to pin down and define. But it's a huge movement globally, which is changing Christianity, changing the Christian church, and changing the Catholic church as well. As usual, John steps in and says, what's happening? He says, when future histories of Christianity are written, the late 20th century will probably come to be known as the era of the Pentecostal explosion. From less than 6% in the mid-70s, Pentecostals finished the century representing almost 20% of world Christianity according to a 2006 study by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. 
Combining organized Pentecostal denominations, such as the Assemblies of God or the International Pentecostal Church of Christ, plus a vast galaxy of independent churches around the world with a Pentecostal flavor, such as the African Zionists, the Spiritual Baptists in the Caribbean, the True Jesus Church in China, brings the total worldwide number of Pentecostals to around 380 million. That would make Pentecostalism the second largest Christian grouping on earth, lagging only behind the Roman Catholic Church. He says there are more Pentecostals today than all of the Orthodox, Anglican, and Lutherans put together. And as remarkable as those numbers are, they underestimate the real Pentecostal footprint because established Christian denominations have also spawned their own versions of Pentecostalism, usually called Charismatics. And so there are Charismatic Catholics, Charismatic Anglicans, Charismatic Baptists, Charismatic Lutherans. And so when you add all of them in as well, the number of Pentecostals or Christians who are influenced by the Pentecostal movement is truly astounding. Where did it come from? Well, there are various places that uh, claim the origin of Pentecostalism. John pins it down to the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in 1906. Basically, uh, what has happened is Pentecostalism took root in various different places around the world at different time in different time periods over the 20th century, and it is uh, essentially this, if I can define it, it is a return to the. Uh, primitive church of the Acts of the Apostles, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, people were speaking in tongues, uh, there were healings, there were signs and wonders, and there was a mighty work of conversion in the world and the mighty work of conversion of God's people through the uh, supernatural outworking of the Holy Spirit. Now, no matter what you think about the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement, those are the claims that it makes. And the fruit from their work is actually pretty astounding. Uh, we do find huge numbers of conversions. We find we do find reports of uh, healings and miracles uh, and an outpouring of the supernatural Holy Spirit. This of course, cuts right across the other thing which is happening in the 20th century, which is the rise of uh, liberal Protestantism and eventually modernism in the Catholic Church. Liberal Protestantism uh, and modernism in the Catholic Church is doing exactly the opposite. It's saying about the supernatural, oh, we can't really believe in these things today because we're modern people and modern people can't really believe in things like exorcism and healings and speaking in tongues and the outpouring of the supernatural Holy Spirit of God. And so these two movements in the 20th century, and this really intrigues me, these two movements in the 20th century are diametrically opposed. One is an expression of Christianity which says the Holy Spirit is alive today and the Spirit of, Christ, of Jesus Christ is alive in the world today through his church, still doing miracles, still doing signs and wonders, even raising people from the dead and doing amazing things. The other, modernism, says, you know, all of that has died out. We don't do that kind of supernatural stuff anymore. The Christian faith is really about bringing uh, light and peace and justice. And um, the healing we're talking about is the healing of nations, the healing of the environment. The reconciliation we're talking about is the miracle of learning to love one another and live in peace together. Um, and the supernatural work of the of the Holy Spirit isn't done in signs and wonders. It's done in the signs and wonders of looking after one another uh, and being involved in social ministry. So these two understandings of the church are clashing. And John Allen says that one of the places where it can be seen uh, everywhere is especially in the developing world. 
in Latin America, you can find churches the size of football stadiums, he says, 12,000-acre redemption camps in Nigeria, and storefront churches in the slums of Rio and Los Angeles. The most successful Pentecostal church in Guatemala, the Fraternidad Cristiana de Guatemala, recently built a $20 million facility said by church members to be the largest building in Central America complete with seating for 12,000, parking for more than 3,500 cars, 48 Sunday school classrooms, a baptism pool with space for hundreds, and even a heliport. Pentecostal growth is not confined to the South. Sociologist of religion Nikolai Mitrokin, who directs the Moscow-based Institute of the Study of Religion, said in 2004 that denominations generally viewed as Pentecostal in flavor, such as the Assembly of God, expanded at a clip of 20 to 25 percent a year in Russia during the 1990s. 2005, Pitrokin estimated that there were at least one million practicing Protestants in Russia, many of them Pentecostals, and he believed that Pentecostal and evangelical Christianity could be the religious preference of most Russians by the mid-21st century. Now, of course, intellectuals and the elite look down on Pentecostalism as being hillbilly religion, holy roller religion, hallelujah religion for ignorant people. Well, uh, that may be so, but those so-called ignorant people who are following the Pentecostal movement are actually huge in numbers. So what is Pentecostalism? Well, there are various different uh, attributes that you can uh, pin it down to. First of all, beliefs in the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, or prayer for healing, a literal reading of the Bible, a strong belief in divine healing, a possibility of direct divine revelation to people, an emphasis on evil spirits and spiritual warfare and casting out demons, and then also a belief that Jesus will return in their lifetime. Some of them believe in a rapture, meaning Jesus will come supernaturally and gather people up to heaven. Uh, a belief uh, in uh, miracles still occurring, as they did in biblical times, and also to evangelization and an emphasis on Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. Along with that will go a conservative moral code on issues such as homosexuality, extramarital sex, abortion, divorce, and alcohol and drugs. Uh, and so Pentecostalism, therefore, is a free-ranging, freelance form of Christianity, which has spread all over the globe. And as I said, it's in a way a direct response to the liberalism, the modernism of the 20th century, which did away with the supernatural completely. What are some aspects of Pentecostalism which, which are also there, which are rather disconcerting? One is the prosperity gospel. Very often the megachurch pastors preach a prosperity gospel, which is you can get saved and God wants to bless you with a new job and, with a, and, and more money and you can be rich. Uh, and if you follow the Lord, God will bless you with many good things. This, of course, in developing countries is very attractive to people. They're struggling to make a living. They're struggling to, struggling to rise up economically and socially, and the idea of joining a church where there's lots of successful people, and the preacher saying, you can be successful too, and these other people will show you the way, uh, is a very attractive, very, very popular message. Also, it's one which seems to work, not necessarily because of supernatural blessings from God, but because if you actually join a church, you, with other successful people, you will start mixing with successful people. You will learn how to be successful in life. Probably those contacts will help you to get a job and get an education, and you and your family will actually uh, improve your state in life by doing this. So, 
you can see that the, the prosperity gospel is not quite as superstitious as a lot of people say. There's actually something to it. Whether you agree with it or not is is another matter. And a lot of us would curl up our toes and, and say, well, this is not really what the gospel is about. It's not about getting rich. But if you're rich, you can afford to take that point of view. If you're poor and nearly starving, the prosperity gospel sounds like a pretty good gospel. Uh, and when the pastor says, God wants to bless you, God wants to give you good things, it's easy to believe that. John Allen then also takes time to explore the phenomenon of Catholic charismatics. The World Christian Database estimates the total number of Catholic charismatics in the world to be about 120 million, which would be roughly 11% of the total Catholic population. Brazilian charismatic Father Marcelo Rossi offers one example of the highly eclectic global charismatic scene. Rossi regularly draws crowds of more than 70,000 to masses he celebrates four times a week in a formal bottle factory on Sao Paulo southern side, where signs and wonders abound. In the late 1990s, his CD entitled The Lord's Aerobics became the best-selling album of all time in the country. And in the Philippines, the El Shaddai movement, founded by Mike Velarde, has a following estimated at 8 million. At services in packed stadiums, these charismatic Catholics raise their passports to be blessed, believing this will help them obtain the visas they need to work overseas. So like Pentecostalism, the heart of charismatic renewal is baptism in the Holy Spirit. In 2003, international charismatic leader Charles Whitehead listed what he regards as the gifts to the Catholic Church from the charismatic renewal. Prayer and praise, empowered by the gift of tongues, unexpectant faith, the conviction that the Lord heals and works miracles through ordinary people, a sense of joy and celebration, a desire to be a witness and be involved in the new evangelization, and bringing alive the theological virtue of hope. Catholic charismatic leaders function from within the church. Whenever they uh, want to set out and go on a mission in a particular place, they always contact the bishop of that diocese and asks and ask if they will be welcome. Well, what's the effect of Pentecostalism uh, in on the world? The effect of Pentecostalism in the world is that actually the Catholic Church is being hit and being hit hard. The hundreds of millions of new Pentecostals generated in the late 20th century didn't just step out of a vacuum. Unlike global gains in Catholicism and Islam, increases in Pentecostalism are primarily converts from other Christian religions. And Catholicism has been hit particularly hard by the Pentecostal wave especially in Latin America. Belgian passionist Father Franz Damon, a veteran staffer for the Bolivian bishops, concluded in the 1990s that conversions from Catholicism to Protestantism in Latin America during the 20th century actually surpassed the number of conversions incited by the Protestant Reformation in Europe in the 16th century. A study commissioned in the late 1990s found that 8,000 Latin Americans were deserting the Catholic Church every day. And a 2005 poll uh, by a Chile-based firm said that 71% of Latin Americans considered themselves Roman Catholic in 2004, down from 80% in 1995. If that trend continues at its current pace, the authors speculated only 50% of Latin Americans would identify themselves as Catholics by 2025. So you can see that the Catholic Church is being hit hard by the Pentecostal movement. We might just ask, why is that? 
Maybe because Catholicism has been swept over by modernism, which denies the supernatural altogether, and therefore the, the people in the pew are drawn to the supernatural aspect of their faith, and if they can't get it in the Catholic Church, they end up going to the Pentecostal. And it's not just Latin America that's being hit. According to the World Christian Database, Pentecostals today are 12% of Africa's population, some 107 million people, up from less than 5% of the African population in 1975. Many new Pentecostals have come from Catholicism and mainline Protestantism. One could in reality say this, in the global north, dissatisfied Catholics usually become secularized. In the south, they become Pentecostals. One of the things to remember also is that while Pentecostals gain converts, they also lose people at an alarming rate. Sometimes it's the last stop before losing faith altogether when they find out that all of the promises of signs and wonders and uh, prosperity and so forth don't actually come true. A lot of Pentecostals are going out the back door while others come in the front. If you ask any Pentecostal or charismatic to explain the remarkable growth of renewalist Christianity, as it's sometimes called, you get the same answer, the Holy Spirit. Pentecostalism and the various charismatic movements within established churches represent the most awesome work of the Holy Spirit in the modern age, and any attempt to explain the phenomenon in human terms will miss what is most essential about it. Of course, sociologists of religion will seek explanations in more human terms, and trying to account for the global expansion of Pentecostalism is one of the more wide-open parlor games in the field today. However, there are some ways that you can explain the growth of Pentecostalism. One of the things is the American influence. Pentecostalism has grown in the developing world because of the vast resources of the American church. American missionaries are pouring money and personnel into Africa and Latin America. The Catholic critics say they have got bait, they have riches, and most of these Protestant sects come from America, and the Americans give them money. They entice the members with scholarships, education, and clothing. Some people here are very poor and if you come, they will give you something. Well, I would explain that that's nothing new. When the Catholic missionaries went there in the 19th century, they also built schools and built roads and gave jobs. Uh, and if you, were, uh, if you converted, you could go to their schools. So uh, the idea of giving people and helping people when they're converting is nothing new. But the second uh, cause that sociologists look to, American political and economic policy has long held to the idea that Catholicism keeps people poor and Protestantism helps people to become prosperous. Therefore, one of the ways that some American economists and politicians have thought to overcome poverty in the world was for people to become Protestant and for them to therefore latch into the idea that God will bless them and work harder uh, and, and rise out of their poverty. Whereas Catholicism says, if you're poor, that's blessed, uh, offered up and endure the suffering. Uh, maybe, maybe not. The third aspect is lack of pastoral care. In those countries where conversion to Pentecostalism has come primarily from Catholicism, many observers believe that something the Catholic Church has done or failed to do is responsible. Therefore, they look at the lack of pastoral care in Catholic churches, they look at the lack of concern for individual conversion, they look at the lack of concern for the family, and they look at the establishment, uh, theological, liturgical morbidity of the Catholic Church, and they say the Catholic Church wasn't doing their job its job therefore people have gone elsewhere to find what they need religiously and spiritually a fourth cause is the priest shortage if the catholic church wasn't doing its job effectively maybe it's because they didn't have enough personnel and the priest shortage means that people are looking for pastoral care and they go to the pentecostals and they don't mind if the person isn't ordained as a catholic priest this pastor offers them love and care and attention and compassion the congregations are perhaps smaller and more intimate they have fellowship and so they find what they're looking for 
There are two different attitudes about the cause as well amongst liberals and conservatives. For liberal critics of Catholicism, the rise of Pentecostalism is interpreted as a popular referendum against the perceived defects of the Catholic Church. People feel alienated by a hierarchical authoritarian church, say the liberals, and therefore they're looking for a church where the rules are easier, where there's not so many regulations, and where they can have more of a democratic congregational approach to their church. The conservatives come back and say, no, it's liberation theology, it's modernism, it's the lack of the supernatural, it's reducing the gospel to only the social dimension, which has raised up the specter of Pentecostalism, which is with its emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the supernatural. John also talks about the ecstasy deficit. In other words, Pentecostalism is exciting religion. The services are lively, the music is fun, the signs and wonders seem to be happening. This is what people are looking for in religion, and when they go to the Catholic Church or the established denominations, they find instead a liturgy which to them seems dull, preaching which is flat and boring, a theological intellectual emphasis which doesn't connect with them at all. And so large numbers of working class people, large numbers of people looking for excitement and thrill in religion uh, will turn to the Pentecostals. Another aspect which causes the Pentecostal growth uh, is the empowering of women. Women are given much more authority to preach and to minister uh, in the Pentecostal churches, and that's what some people are looking for. Also, uh, enculturation. The Pentecostal churches are right where the people are. They're not imposing a foreign culture on people with a liturgical and theological and educational background from Europe. Instead, this is grassroots religion. It's right where people are, and it's growing where people are, and it's expressing their faith in their language and in their culture in a way that they can understand. There are a few more causes that John Allen outlines. Uh, One is that it's an answer to urbanization. People moving to the cities from their towns and villages and they're isolated and they're alone. They find fellowship and they find friendship in these little Pentecostal churches uh, and they belong to a community and they belong once more, even though they're in the midst of these huge cities in the developing world. Also, Pentecostalism stresses personal morality. There's a responsibility demanded. There's personal responsibility demanded of of individual followers. If you sign up to Pentecostalism, you're expected to behave yourself, and the church will actually discipline you if you don't. Not all the laxity and toleration uh, that you find in liberal circles. Instead, there's a discipline and a standard of morality which is expected. There are also economic advantages to becoming a Pentecostal, as I outlined before. Uh, You move into a a circle with people who are successful and are going someplace, and you join in with them. And before long, you can actually gain uh, economic advantages yourself. And you can gain an edge on those who do not belong to a lively community with a sense of self-discipline and a sense of responsibility. Finally, there's the aspect of competition. Anybody can start up a Pentecostal church. It doesn't take a degree in theology. You don't have to be ordained by a bishop. And so there's lots of competition and lots of uh, storefront churches, lots of entrepreneurial spirit in Pentecostalism. And this gives uh, the whole thing an exciting edge. And uh, people like to belong to something which is growing, something which is new, something which is exciting. So these qualities are are making Pentecostalism grow around the world. Well, this is an exciting uh, area of discussion and one which is going to impact Catholicism as well. In the full-length version of this podcast, I will be discussing what it actually means, and we'll be going through projections for the future on how Pentecostalism is going to affect uh, the Catholic Church even more in the 21st century. 
I'll be going through that step-by-step in the full-length version, which you can find over on my blog, DwightLongenecker.com. I encourage you to go over there and follow my podcasts and also to follow my blog day by day. If you can be a donor subscriber, uh, even better. That helps to cover the costs of producing these podcasts and producing my blogs and keeping the whole thing online. Thank you for listening here at Breadbox Media. I encourage you also to listen to my other podcast, Triumphs and Tragedies, which is a 23-part series on the history of the Catholic Church. Also, an abridged version of Hilaire Belloc's Characters of the Reformation, Stories of the Unexpected, True Fairy Tales, and much, much more. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of my podcasts here at Breadbox Media. But today I'm speaking to you about a different opportunity. In September 2020, I'll be leading a fantastic pilgrimage cruise from Rome to the Holy Land, And then on the way back, stopping at the cities of St. Paul, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and more. While we're at sea, I'll be lecturing on the Gospels, history or mystery. When we're on land, I'll invite you to join me as we visit all of the holy sites, celebrating Mass, worshipping together, and having a wonderful time of fellowship. If you'd like to know more about this pilgrimage cruise, go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. Go to the right sidebar, and you'll see a picture there which invites you to get more information. Go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com, right sidebar, click on the picture of the cruise ship, and you'll get all the information you need. Alternatively, you can call the company that's organizing the tour at 800-247-0017. 800-247-0017. Ask for Farmer Longenecker's Cruise to the Holy Land. Thanks for listening. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.